Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kayla Branch. And I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This week, former OU basketball players speak out about racial insensitivity by their head coach. And demonstrations in Oklahoma City honor a historic march by rallying against racial injustice today. Sports columnist Jenny Carlson has kindly joined us this week. Jenny, you wrote a column about the need for listening and change in the University of Oklahoma's athletics department after former players recently came out saying OU women's basketball coach Sherry Cole was racially insensitive to black players. Let's start at the beginning. When did these allegations first come out and and what were former players saying? Yeah, this was kind of an unexpected um, turn of things. On Friday morning, members of the OU football team met outside their their uh, training facility, and they marched a few blocks across campus to voice their concern for racial injustice. Um, those pictures and videos and comments from players and coaches were obviously shared on social media, lots of traction just from the players themselves. But one of the tweets that was sent out after that event was retweeted with a comment from former women's basketball player Joya Carter, who um, finished her OU career just a couple years ago. She hasn't been out of the program for that long, but basically called into question the fact that she never felt similar support from her head coach, Sherry Cole, in the women's basketball program. And after she voiced concerns and uh, mentioned a couple things that she'd experienced, several other former black players also voiced comments and concerns about situations that they'd had. So, again, this was not a women's basketball event, but an event that they saw as a uh, stark contrast to what they'd experienced and decided to raise those concerns at that point. Right. And have we ever heard of allegations like this before from OU's women's basketball program? No, this was something that was really out of the blue in a lot of ways. Um, You know, Sherry Cole's been at Oklahoma for more than two decades. She basically took a program that didn't exist for a while and turned it into a a national uh, prominence type of program, went to three Final Fours, won multiple Big 12 championships, And, you know, I think a lot of her former players uh, over the years, not just as it relates to this incident, but over the years have been very complimentary of what they learned um, on the basketball court and off the basketball court from Sherry Cole. So there wasn't really any sort of track record of problems within the program. Now, the last few years have been rough years on the court in terms of wins and losses. Two years ago, Oklahoma had a very long streak of trips to the NCAA tournament snapped, 
and it looked like they were probably not going to go back to the NCAA tournament in 2020, but obviously the coronavirus pandemic ended the NCAA basketball tournaments before they began back in March. So their record was unlikely to get them into the tournament. But, uh, they, you know, other than those on-court struggles, there, there wasn't anything in anything close to what we were hearing and seeing from players um, in the aftermath of, of what happened Friday. And there were a couple of, of players, past players, that came out in defense of Sherry Cole. Those players that I have seen, and there may be others, but I have not seen them. The, other, the ones that I have seen, they were white players. And it doesn't discredit what they experienced, but their comments also don't discredit some of the concerns that the black players brought up. So I'll be curious to see what the next few weeks uh, bring for OU women's basketball and just what they're going to be looking at as it relates to these, um, these you know, basically charges of racial insensitivity. And how did Coach Cole and the university respond to these allegations? Yeah, so on Sunday, which was about 36 hours or so after the initial tweet by Joya Carter and, and then the subsequent comments from other teammates, uh, we saw two statements released by Sherry Cole and also OU Athletic Director Joe Castiglione. Um, Sherry apologized for um, making players feel uncomfortable or, um, you know, not uh, not welcome. I, you know, she just she basically said, I didn't realize that this was happening. Joe Castiglione said he was concerned when he saw the comments and that, you know, they were uh, really wanting to listen to what the players had to say. There was no um, sort of set future structure for what OU intends to do. Um, there wasn't sort of a we're going to do a uh, an investigation or we're going to um, contact outside representatives to look into this issue. So exactly what future steps are either being taken or will be taken, I'm not exactly sure, but there was at least an acknowledgement by the university that they need to do some things moving forward um, as it relates to, you know, making that environment for all players within the OU women's basketball team something that, you know, they can all feel good about. There are some people nationally who say that athletes should, quote, stick to sports and not speak out on social issues. And players in both professional and collegiate levels seem to reject that. And, you know, in what ways, especially recently with all of the uh, movements that we've seen going on and the demonstrations related to uh, more broadly, you know, police injustice and racial injustice. In what ways have we seen OU and OSU athletes have a more prominent role in activism, whether it's relating to those racial issues or just problems within their own teams more locally? Yeah, there's been several instances of, of players speaking up and speaking out about things over the summer a very notable uh, firestorm essentially caused by a tweet from Oklahoma State's star running back Chuba Hubbard after uh, some things that he saw uh, on social media related to his head coach Mike Gundy, which, um, as we understand it, spurred an investigation within the university, within the athletic department to look into um, problems that players were raising, somewhat similar to what we saw with the OU women's basketball team. You know, uh, players wanting change, wanting better within their program, and the the indications are that that was that was an outcome that they do feel like the program and just how 
uh, it works internally, that that is better. Um, we have seen several instances of teams, players, coaches uh, doing marches or pausing practice to um, talk about social injustice, racial inequity, those sorts of things. Uh, while OU's football team marched on Friday, Oklahoma State's football team met in private in smaller groups to talk about experiences and things that they might do. Then obviously down in, in Florida in the NBA's bubble, uh, we saw them take a three-day pause, and obviously the Oklahoma City Thunder involved in that after the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the Jacob Blake uh, incident of a couple weekends ago is basically a suburb of Milwaukee, and Milwaukee decided that they weren't going to play soon after Oklahoma City and Houston, who were set to play right after that. They decided they weren't going to play. That sparked the NBA to say, we're just going to pause. They paused for three days. They met. They came up with several um, several things that they are wanting to implement in NBA cities as far as voting, um, as far as engagement with people uh, beyond just the NBA. You know, they're, they're, they're talking about uh, voter registration drives and using stadiums and arenas to have polling places if, if people need more space, um, because obviously voting during the coronavirus pandemic potentially dangerous for some people. So those sorts of things came out of there. I think it's interesting as it relates specifically to the OU women's basketball team, people that might want to say, well, players should stick to their sport. First of all, I don't think that that is, is, you know, that's really an unfounded argument because these are people just like the rest of us. And, you know, they have concerns and fears and all those sorts of things. And why wouldn't they um, come out and, you know, try to support people that might feel marginalized when they have that platform. But as it relates specifically to OU women's basketball, if players within the program were made to feel less than or outside, um, you know, team chemistry, team unity, those are things that teams pretty much everywhere talk about. They love to, to talk about how that's something that's important. And Sherry Cole, frankly, has been, if there's a Pied Piper of team chemistry and team unity among, you know, major college coaches, she might be it. I mean, that's something she has talked about for a very long time, about how her teams are really, uh, it's about together and it's about the journey and all of those things. And if you've got players within that, that unit who feel like they're not really part of that, how could that not affect team unity? How could that not affect team chemistry? So the whole idea that, in this particular instance especially, that those players would just sit silently and let this go, that really, uh, it really goes against uh, those hallmarks and those tenets of things that Sherry Cole has tried to build this program on. So this is very much about sport in this instance. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see if as we move forward, you know, what, what happens and how, you know, what, what differences might we see? Um, you know, maybe some of these recent struggles, maybe there's some connection there that, you know, they have had uh, several players transfer. Maybe there was, uh, you know, some other issues at play, but maybe this was part of that. We'll have to wait and see sort of as, as uh, all of this comes along, what, what is found moving forward and how it might relate to what we've actually seen out of Oklahoma when it comes to their games and their seasons. 
It, it's so interesting when you consider the dynamics between coaches and players. Coaches historically have been considered uh, the ones who are supposed to instruct and kind of direct player behavior. Now it's really interesting to see players holding coaches accountable for their behavior. Jenny, you said in your column that the journey can't end here for OU Athletics. What would you like to see Coach Cole and OU do moving forward? I think as much as anything, there there needs to be listening. There needs to be, uh, you know, a very um, honest uh, assessment of what players heard, what they felt. Um, you know, I, I think that a, um, a a thorough look into, you know, what these players who have come out publicly and maybe some that haven't, you know, what did they experience and how how was that? Uh, maybe detrimental to how they felt about their team, their experience, all of that. Um, you know, pretty clearly, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, not every black player that's come through the OU women's basketball team uh, has had, you know, some of these bad experiences. I mean, for example, Courtney Paris, probably the most predominant and most uh, successful of OU's women's basketball alums decided to come back to Oklahoma this summer, be an assistant coach on that staff. So if she had just a horrendous experience, I find it hard to believe that she would have decided to work full-time for the program, to um, be inside those walls all the time, to be recruiting for the program. If she had, you know, a bad experience, that that seems like a far-fetched thing. You know, she might, she might have coached somewhere else, but it would be hard to think that she would just – you know, sink herself into that situation if she had had a terrible four years um, at OU. So I think that that needs to be said. But at the same time, I think it is also it also you know is important to remember that just because there was good experiences by black players doesn't mean that every black player had the same experience. So listening and hearing them out, and then figuring out what can be done moving forward, whether that's um, you know, training for coaches and staff, whether that's, uh, you know, a mechanism by which players can feel like they can talk to administrators or someone else within the program about problems that they might perceive, you know, just to be able to not get to the point where three, four, five, seven, ten years after a, a player has been within the program to finally feel like they have a chance to say, something might be wrong here to to not get down the road that far to be able to address concerns and have them taken care of i think that's really important so i think it will be interesting to see you know just what oklahoma can learn if they'll if they'll listen and and, and then you know what what comes of it really i think depends on what they learn in those sessions with those alumni. Um, and, you know, maybe there are current players that they'll be talking to. I hope so, um, just to see what, what they might be experiencing. So what needs to happen, I don't know, because we don't know exactly what they're going to learn um, from those players. So I think we need to allow that process, which I hope is happening, to play out. And then once it does, uh, I hope that there'll be some mechanisms set up that, that help players feel like if something does happen, that they have an ability to to talk to somebody to mitigate, stop, um, eliminate those sorts of things in the future. Absolutely. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk with us about this. We really appreciate your time. Sure. Thanks, guys.
what we are doing today is we are honoring the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Today marks 57 years that he gave I, his I Have a Dream speech. And 57 years later, and we're still having to reiterate the same things. Reporter Josh Delaney is back on the podcast to talk about a demonstration in Oklahoma City last Friday that honored a historic march in the civil rights movement 57 years ago. So Delaney, tell us what this event was all about. Yeah, so this event uh, was to commemorate the historic March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Uh, that was uh, 57 years ago, and it's uh, it's where uh, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. And so what did you see and hear from protesters as they marched from uh, Northwest 23rd Street, uh, uptown area over to the state capitol? Take it. Take us through this. Yeah, this uh, happened uh, in the in the wake of the uh, Jacob Blake shooting uh, by a police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And of course, we've had uh, protests and uh, riots in some places around the country since the uh, the death of, of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody. So a lot of this protest uh, w- was um, uh, a lot, some of the folks that spoke there said that it's been five or six decades uh, later uh, since Dr. King's speech and the black community in America still has a dream uh, that was spoken of a lot. Uh, the idea that uh, there's still a ways to go for the black community to attain um, equality uh, in, in America, that, that was a big theme of, of this particular market. Glad that you bring that up because you know hundreds of people were at this march last weekend and that kind of makes it one of the larger demonstrations that we've seen just in recent weeks but demonstrators have been out in oklahoma city and oklahoma more broadly all summer long you know against police brutality and against systematic racism and and like you mentioned, at this particular march, they talked about you know what Dr. King spoke on nearly 60 years ago. It still really applies today. A lot of those same problems exist. And why do people, uh, from what you heard, continue to be motivated to publicly voice their concerns? And how do recent events like what you saw um, and mentioned in, up in Wisconsin influence what we're seeing here in Oklahoma? Yeah, I think there's um, I think there's a call for justice that, it, and that word itself gets argued about. And in these discussions, I think the black community is frustrated that non-black people immediately want to bring out or point to black-on-black crime and black-on-black violence. Um, 
the shootings in Chicago uh, that, that um, take place too frequently. And I think what I'm hearing in the black community is when they when they talk about justice, they want to see um, the system work for them in cases where the deaths of black people at the hands of officers uh, were not uh, justified, at least in their eyes. Um, in the black community, when there's black on black crime, quite often uh, somebody's brought to justice, somebody ends up going to prison. Uh, I've seen that in the court system here in Oklahoma. Uh, but oftentimes in police involved shootings, at least through my experience in covering these over the years, uh, in, in, um, at least in the black community's eyes, far too many of them are deemed justified uh, police shootings. So I think what's happened over the summer and during uh, a highly charged political year, uh, it's motivated people to come out uh, on the streets and rally and protest for the things that, uh, that, that, that they believe in. And we also saw local uh, demonstrators bringing up um, specific cases, specific uh, people who've been charged with crimes here in Oklahoma. What, what are some of the local cases that people were talking about? Yeah, there there, there have been some recent officer-involved shootings with uh, the black community here. So there was a prominent one in Oklahoma involving a police officer and uh, a man named Terrence Crutcher. Um, so it's not uncommon to see these same issues here in Oklahoma. The pr- probably the most uh, at, at this point the, the the most prominent one is the Julius Jones case. He was convicted of murder about 20 years ago. Uh, convicted of murdering a man in Edmond, and uh, there was some controversy over the the evidence in that case. Uh, but some DNA evidence came back, and uh, uh, he. Uh, it, it, it pointed to him for a lack of a, a scientific term, um, but uh, his defenders and his de- supporters say that there were some errors at trial. Um, the DA, the district attorney, is, is, has pushed back against that, and also the attorney general here in Oklahoma. So whether it's Julius Jones or, or other names that, that were mentioned, it's similar to other places around the country where uh, the, the people involved in police shootings, their, their names are, are uh, brought up as well. Then there was also a group who was armed waiting for marchers at the state capitol, which is where the, the demonstration ended. Do we know who this armed group was and, and why they were there? I'm not sure who they were. Uh, we got word of that uh, a little bit later in the night. They, they were on another side of the Capitol, uh, on the other side of the Capitol. So thankfully there wasn't any conflict there like we've seen, um, you know, recently in Portland. And we're starting to see more of that now where there have been uh, protests and demonstrations and then counter protesters are now starting to come out. Um, and, and the conflict, you know, at least in one case, has is, is turned deadly. And we, we haven't I haven't seen us coming close to something like that yet here in Oklahoma. Yeah. And I think you're referencing to uh, a shooting up in Wisconsin uh, uh, between someone who was 
counter protesting effectively. Um, and just as a follow up, does this represent a kind of a growing tension between local protesters advocating for racial justice and an end to police violence versus other groups who say they back the blue? I think so. I think we're going to see more of that. Um, I think people are frustrated with what they read. I think certain groups are frustrated with what they read in national media and maybe even local media. Um, This is not necessarily to defend uh, either side and certainly not to defend violence on either side. Um, But I think we're going to see more people coming out. As, As we did, I think it was in Portland where Trump supporters came out, drove their pickup trucks, and um, got into confrontations with uh, the, the protesters that were out there. You see, even right now when I talk about this, I know some people might be listening and uh, who are going to say, you keep calling them protesters when they were actually rioters. Well, if I call them rioters, other people are going to say they're protesters. Um, some people are going to say these are peaceful demonstrations or mostly peaceful. So just in the language itself that we use, um, not to make it about us, but um, even journalists are coming under attack for the kind of language that we use in describing these things now on both sides. Uh, so I think uh, there's there's a large group of people that have stayed on the sidelines that are now starting to come out. And we'll probably come out a little bit more to uh, confront the people that are already out there uh, on the streets. I should say that the, the demonstration here last week, or the march in Oklahoma City last week, uh, this wasn't, uh, from what we saw, contentious uh, at all. This wasn't trying to stir uh, people up. It, w- it was a, a, a peaceful march, and of course people shared their... Uh, you know, political views on the on the things that are happening today. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I, w- I would expect more more violence in in the months to come. Right. Well, it's definitely something you know over the summer that it seems has just continued to be very politicized. And and like you mentioned, it'll be um, really interesting to see what that looks like nationally, and then what happens here in Oklahoma as well. So. Delaney, thanks for coming on to talk with us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode. 